Okay. Reggie, Reggie, Reggie. Are we ready, ready, ready? <laughs> Let me uh, prepare the instrument. <clears throat> no tuning involved. A lot of people do a lot of exercises and, uh, you know, tongue twisters and diaphragm exercises and loosening ups and all that stuff. I really don't. I don't know. I've, I've, I've never had to do that. I'm always just ready to go. When when it's time, I'm just ready. I don't need all that all that prepare even when I played sports, you know, you know, you know, you have to I mean, certainly you warmed up a little, but you know, there was a lot of people that did all this stretching and all these things and I did a little thing just to get loose, but hey, it's game time. Let's go. That's that should be enough. That should pump enough adrenaline into you. Same thing here. I do say my three S's as a little inspirational thing, but in terms of getting my instrument, no, don't need that, Reg. Okay, here we go, sir. Are you ready? I am. I like where the levels are. So I'll just give you the three S's. I'll give you the countdown. You give me the music, and I will give you podcast number 299. 299. What do we have in store for 300, Reggie? You'll have to wait. All right, here we go. Ready? Star, smile, strong. Okay. Ready? Three, two, one. Hey, it's Elton Jim Toronto, and this is Captain Podtastic. And welcome to another episode of Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. Every Monday, a new episode is posted at WGNRadio.com or wherever you go to find your favorite podcast. We're there, as well we should be. Also, don't forget to rate and subscribe to this podcast. But most importantly, hit the streets. Taking it to the streets. Take this podcast to the streets. Tell your friends. Tell your family, tell anybody that you know who listens to podcasts that you are sending them a link to your favorite podcast, Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. It's your favorite podcast, should be theirs too. And don't forget, if you're a new listener, old listener, recent listener, if you like what you hear, I always urge you to go back to see where we've been so you'll know where we're going. It's always good to be updated, so go to WGNRadio.com. Hit the prompt for this podcast. You will find all previous, or at least they tell me, all previous podcasts for the last almost six years now. There are podcasts galore just waiting for you to listen to, to binge on, and to get up to speed. I know there's a few of you that literally have listened to all 298, and I thank you for that. And so, let's do 299. <laughs> episode 299, people have been talking to me about episode 300, what's it going to be, something special, big show, big podcast, stars, what I, I don't, to be honest with you, I'm still kind of... Figuring that out. Uh, so we'll see. When I know, you'll know. <laughs> so, 
for this podcast, uh, what I want to uh, to talk about is something that's certainly been in the news over the last several weeks, and uh, it's something that I would like to uh, to weigh in on, especially because um, while a lot of it already has been discussed, and it, it still seems to be a a fluid situation where no definitive answers have been made yet, at least at the recording of this podcast. By the time this is posted, perhaps it will be all settled. But um, but I actually have a different take on it, or, or at least a, um, a more uh, media-centric take on it, and something that I think we all need to start to think about. Uh, what I'm referring to, of course, a couple of weeks ago, uh, the popular musical streaming service, Spotify was thrust into the headlines because one of its most popular offerings on Spotify, in addition to the millions of songs, which first established it as one of the, if not the, right now, premier and leading music streaming services, uh, the music is what, what founded Spotify. And now, obviously, in the last several years, as podcasts have become more popular, they have widened their scope, expanded their their offerings to include podcasts as well. And one of their their leading podcasts, one of the most, apparently, the most popular podcasts in the world, and I still don't understand this, but hey, I guess the clicks don't lie, right, is by comedian Joe Rogan. And, you know, you know. once again, I, I, he's not my cup of tea, never really has been. Um, I've been doing podcasts for six years. He's making $100 million, and I'm not. So who am I to talk, right? <laughs> I mean, he has certainly leveraged whatever uh, notoriety and name recognition and following that he had he certainly leveraged that to the point where now this podcast, good, bad, or whatever it is, is a major force to be reckoned with. Spotify apparently has given Joe Rogan, it's hard to even say it, $100 million to basically sit in his basement or wherever he does it and talk for an hour or so a day. Maybe two hours. Ooh, wow. Maybe even two and a half. I can do two and a half standing on my head. So, um, hey, I, I, I bow to his, um, to what he has achieved. It certainly has eluded me. <laughs> but regardless of, um, of any kind of <laughs> professional jealousies or astonishments, I'm proud of my podcast. And I wouldn't have it any other way. I certainly would love to, uh, you know, have an audience that is in the millions, like Joe Rogan does. I think I would deserve it. But um, I, you know, for whatever reason, he's been able to um, to really just put that thing out there and attract business as well as listeners. So more power to you. This is not an easy business. Anything in the media or in the entertainment world is not easy. There are no. There are no established paths there is no rule book a lot of it is is 
opportunity, being at the right place at the right time. So timing and uh, sadly, nepotism and who you know and someone giving you a break. Um, Talent is not always a prerequisite. Experience, a proven track record, the things that used to count for any job in today's world. Not just the media, but in any in any world, sadly. Some of those bedrocks, some of those things that at least when I was um, growing up, we were taught that, you know, in order to, to, to have a successful career, you needed to get, uh, you know, an education. You needed to get experience. You needed to hone your craft. And, uh, you know, those were the, the, the basics, the foundation, the building blocks. You had to have some experience. And if you, and, and if you had to just uh, work for nothing to get that experience, that's what you did because it would open a door, you'd meet people, you'd get opportunities come your way. That's what it is. And to some extent, some of that is still uh, relevant and true. But in many cases in today's world, it is not. The Internet has changed so many rules and in some cases has broken some rules, has, uh, has, has destroyed some old standby uh, you know, processes that just don't, don't even apply or exist anymore. And so the goal, I guess, to all of us, if we want to stay relevant, if we want to stay successful, is try to find a way to adapt to those. I wish I could say that I've been able to. <laughs> <laughs> but um anyway but uh what has happened now with joe rogan is an interesting uh situation but not for for me not for what has been uh the most debated points if you're not aware joe rogan as i said has this podcast very popular he is a comedian um he is a appealing to his fan base uh he has always been an edgy comedian he's got a little rough edge to him i don't think he ever purports to be um you know a uh, a genius or some great insightful thing i think he is uh witty and sharp and inquisitive and he has some you know, celebrity friends that initially brought attention to his podcast. And once again, more power to you. You you, you work with what you have. Um, but he is not a medical expert. He is not a doctor. He has not written any treatise, treatises or papers on infectious disease. Uh, he has not, uh, you know, passed any laws. Um, but in today's world, it doesn't take much to become a spokesman for a large group of people. The Internet anoints people. It seemingly anoints them randomly. There might be some method to the madness, but when you dig deep, it's really not there. Many people have risen to a... Um, a position of prominence, thanks to the Internet, without any of those previous must-haves. Some probably never even have a resume. But this whole idea of training and education 
and experience and a proven track record of success doesn't seem to matter anymore. So it's a, it's a brave new world. I don't know if it's a better world, but it's, 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 it's a new world. Let's put it that way. So Joe Rogan, for whatever reason, apparently, because I've never listened to his podcast, uh, started this in uh, 2009, so he's been doing it for a while. And certainly over the last couple of years, it's, it's exploded to the point where a company would want to pay him $100 million. That, you, you, once again, as I said before, you, you can say whatever you want, but you, you must give him props on that. Whether he's your cup of tea or not, whether you like him or not, somebody does. And when in, in today's world, clicks and views and likes supersede education, training, sometimes even talent, <laughs> and previous success and a pre- proven track record. All those things that made sense are gone. And stuff that doesn't make sense, like views and clicks and likes, that's what drives our culture right now. And Joe Rogan has those. That's undeniable. He may not have any of the other things that we talked about, but he has clicks and views and likes. And that's what you, that's that is that's what's monetized today. So uh, apparently, on his podcast, he talks about a lot of things. He talks to comedians, but he also talks about t- you know timely news events and social issues and whatever it is, whatever is out there. Joe Rogan talks about, which is which is what I do. So no problems. I, I have no problems with Joe Rogan, and you know, uh, in in at the base of it. But apparently, yeah, he he has uh, put out um, a lot of statements about vaccinations and COVID. If you listen to this podcast, you certainly know my views on this. I'm still double masking, and I know that just this past week or so, many governors around the country and the governor of where I live in Illinois plans on lifting the mask mandates for public places by the end of this month in February won't change my behavior. I will still wear a mask in public. I will still wear a double mask in public. When I go to a restaurant or certainly when I go to a school uh, to a to a store or any kind of big public events. Now certainly if, when I'm with, when I'm with my group and we're all vaxxed, I you know in a restaurant I I have gone out without you know I've gone walked in with with a mask, but when the when the the wait staff comes by, I put the mask on and so I will continue to do that because I firmly believe that um, while all these governors are rushing to lift these mandates because their constituents are screaming and they are tired and they have mask fatigue and we got hit with another surge and we've been under that for since early December and now we are in March and we are getting close to spring and people want to get out and don't want to wear masks. Um, the question in my mind, we're going to take the masks off like we've done before. And so where is this leading? Is it going to be any surprise that we're going to have a new variant in July or August? Do you have any doubts of that? 
How could you doubt at all that there is not going to be another variant by July and August when we take off our masks by March 1st and start to expose ourselves? Regardless, we've already seen that while the boosters uh, help us, those who aren't vaccinated are, are prime targets. But yes, even those who have been vaccinated and boosted, while they get uh, lessened symptoms, they still can catch COVID. We know that. It's in the books. It's been proven. And we are still going to, once again, as soon as there's any ray of uh, positive news and the numbers plateau or go down, as soon as they go down, we can't wait to take off our masks. And so, once again, write it down. So in July and August, when we have another surge, like we did last year, when we still had a vaccine, guaranteed there will be a new variant of which we do not have a vaccine for. Hopefully the current boosters will at least keep us somewhat safe in the same situation that we are now in terms of lessening the symptoms for those who have been boosted so they won't require hospitalization. And those who are unvaccinated, uh, you know, you're rolling the dice. You've decided to do that. You're never going to change. So that's that 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 discussion seems to be over. But I really have um, I'm very disappointed in in almost every uh, political leader, every governmental leader, very disappointed in them to fight to just constantly follow and pander to to people instead of putting safety ahead Sometimes people need to be taken care of. They need to be told what is right or wrong because they can't do it themselves. And um, so I am fully expecting when the masks come off again, because, oh, it's, it's not a surprise. It's not a coincidence that the mask mandates will be coming off just when the weather gets warm again and people want to go out and have fun and go to bars and do all their stuff. This is not coincidental, folks. This is what we want. We, it's been proven now with studies and with, uh, you know, with polls, we really don't care anymore about COVID. And we're hearing about endemics and, oh, it's, it's almost over. And we have been hearing that for two years and then it hits again. And so if you don't think that another variant will crop up and spread like wildfire, just like Omicron did, then you're in denial or you're just a cockeyed optimist. And I hope I'm wrong. I don't want this to continue, but I'm just looking at the facts. I'm looking at, at, at the past history to help predict the future history. And so far with this COVID, that's been a pretty good way to go. So that's another subject, but just to, I already did my, I told you so podcast, but write that one down when July and August or September comes and we hit another surge. Don't be surprised that it, it, it it's linked back to when we took our masks off in March. So just throwing that out there, putting it in my back pocket for a future I told you so. <laughs> but anyway, so Joe Rogan is a apparently a vehement anti-vaxxer and been spreading a lot of uh, information, which people uh, be- many people believe has been misinformation. Um, given the the scope and the reach of his podcast, 
as well as his celebrity fame, which is also very important in today's world. Um, Many other high-profile people, like Aaron Rodgers, the other brain surgeon, and I guess you know Aaron Rodgers is a is infectious disease expert too. As I've said on this podcast many times, I I wasn't aware that in this country we have three hundred and thirty million. This is this must be unprecedented. We have three hundred and thirty million uh, experts on infectious disease and viruses. That's that's pretty impressive. A lot of this apparently has been going on behind closed doors. I've never really, even on all those commercials for all these online, uh, you know, colleges that you see, you know, South Hampshire or what is it, you know, all these uh, these online, I don't really, I've never seen them talk about their majors in infectious diseases as being the one that everybody's taken. But clearly, everybody in this country has taken and has gotten a degree in infectious disease because we all know we all know and have a definite uh, uh, reasoning, and and apparently we have definite proof of how this you know uh, you know and uh, of 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 what a, a, a virus does. Forty five percent of the people believe that this virus isn't even real. Still, two years later. So everybody knows what's good for them. Everybody knows what's right which is completely false. Everybody has their own opinion of what they want to be right, and they will seek out whatever information, factual or not, outrageous or not, fictional or not, they will seek that out and cling to it in order to give them some validation and cover for what they want to be true. Most people do whatever they want to do, and then they repent later. Most people do what they want to do, and they will seek any kind of ridiculous validation for it to say, well, because I heard this. And someone says, well, you know, that's completely wrong. Well, that's what I heard, and I, you know, no, that's what you wanted to do. And so you found some ludicrous information that has no basis in fact, but it's convenient for you to justify your own wants, right? At the end of the day, we've proven we are a very selfish and self-centered culture and society. I don't think you can debate that. You can call it freedom. I call it selfishness. But um, so Joe Rogan has been spreading all this. And as we're two years into this, Neil Young who has always been Rock's favorite curmudgeon. Um, I'm not sure what lit a fire under Neil Young. Joe Rogan, from all accounts, has been talking about and being a very uh, vehement anti-vaxxer for quite a, quite a long time. It's not like he just, he just picked up the cause. So I'm not sure what woke up Neil Young to get all ornery. It doesn't take much to, for Neil Young to get ornery. <laughs> Uh, but so, uh, you know, a few weeks ago, Neil Young came out publicly out of left field, sounding very much not only like Neil Young, but sounding a little like a throwback to the counterculture, a throwback to the hippie days. And I'm sure that Neil Young would would proudly uh, wave his hippie flag, his freak flag. I don't think he's uh, he's 
shying away from that. He's always had very sharp opinions. He's very progressive. And um, so this this is not uh, anything out of the ordinary for Neil Young. It's just that at this point, at this time, it's just interesting. Why Why didn't he say this two years ago? But, you know, once again, he's in his 70s now. And, uh, you know, in my day, we didn't have all this coronavirus. We got a shot. It hurt. But we liked it. We loved it. We used to take vaccinations for everything. Even if we wanted to like the color blue, we took a blue vaccination so we could like the color blue. (laughs) Anyway, so Neil Young comes out and says, if Joe Rogan is on Spotify and Joe Rogan is spreading this misinformation and in a dotted line is actually hoping to get people get sick and in some cases die, I don't want to be associated. I don't want to be on the same platform as a guy that's, that's you know, talking gibberish or talking, uh, you know, spreading misinformation and ultimately uh, leading to people dying. So he Neil Young made a very uh, passionate and poignant stance. I want my music off of Spotify unless Joe Rogan gets off of Spotify because he is spreading misinformation about COVID, anti-vaxxing, which is leading to people getting very sick or in many cases dying, and I don't want to be associated with that. So you, at, at, on some level, you have to admire Neil Young because uh, he's, he makes his living off of his music, so he certainly, by taking his music off of Spotify, even though Spotify now is uh, <laughs> very well known for not compensating artists as much as they used to get in terms of music royalties, but there's still an income stream there. And Neil Young has been around a long time. I'm sure he's got several hundred million dollars, but hey, that doesn't mean anything. So he's taking a stand with with what he has. We talked about Joe uh, Rogan earlier about leveraging. So, so Neil Young's leverage, Neil Young's power at this point is his musical catalog. And so that's what he's using. He's, he's and he's and he's sacrificing whether it's a big number or not some income from that. So you have to at least give him some props on that. It might be pocket change for him now, but he's still doing it. He's taking a stand. He's he's embracing his hippie roots, and that's what's been labeled uh, on this. That oh well, you know Neil Young is just this aging rock star, this aging curmudgeon that's just uh, kind of doing the last grasp of the hippie generation. And maybe that's all true. Um, but as I said before, I still have to give Joe Rogan props. I don't give him props for for disseminating misinformation. That I'm not happy about. But at the same time, he's got his he's got his opinion, and he's got his following. But yeah, I mean, if if, if you know, I would prefer that someone who has that kind of a forum, who has that kind of a reach, who has that kind of an influence, wow, I mean, he'd be he could be doing a lot of good to get that other forty percent vaccinated in this country and and around the world. 
So it's it's unfortunate that we've got a guy like Joe Rogan who has this reach, who has this influence, who has this access to a lot of people, and sadly he's not using it to get people vaccinated. It's just the opposite. So I understand Neil Young's point of view. And so this has become this this debate is more centered on, you know, is is Neil Young some hippie radical from the 60s trying to drum up the uh the last vestiges of the protest movement of the 60s is 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 that all this is some aging rocker who's just trying to be relevant for the last time who doesn't get it who's attacking streaming services even though Neil Young himself has been a forerunner in technology. So there's an interesting conflict or dichotomy at the very least of that is Neil Young has been a forerunner in emerging technologies. In the 80s, he was sued by his label head, David Geffen, because David Geffen signed Neil Young to his new record label at the time in the 80s Geffen Records when he was just starting he was he was filling the uh, his his roster with a lot of established acts from the 60s and 70s David Geffen was so some of the first people on Geffen Records when he founded it in the early 80s was Donna Summer and John Lennon and Elton John and Don Henley and Neil Young and then of course he hit the bonanza because uh, he had uh, on his label and affiliated labels, Nirvana, uh, and I th- believe Adam and M, and and uh, you know Geffen. He sold Geffen Records and Geffen Pictures for billions. He's one of the richest men in Hollywood, one of the richest men in the world. But he started with a uh, with a group of established artists to get his record label out there, and Neil Young was one of them. And then. Neil Young, instead of putting out Neil Young kinds of songs and albums, which is what Geffen wanted and signed him for, Neil Young became, uh, in the 80s, was very experimental. He made a country album. He made a Rockabilly's 50s album. And he also made, for the time, a very high-tech electronic album. And so Neil or uh, David Geffen was like, "Wait a minute! And I, I didn't, I didn't sign you to put out these experimental. I want, I want Neil Young music. I want Ohio. I want Heart of Gold. I want. I don't want you just to be uh, putting out these experimental fringe albums. I don't know if the lawsuit went anywhere, but he did. He did sue Neil Young for basically being Neil Young. <laughs> but my point is, Neil Young." was experimenting with electronic music and technology early on into the 80s when it was first beginning. And he's continued that. And uh, even in the streaming world, he developed and promoted. It didn't really go anywhere, but his goal was, as these streaming services were emerging, Neil Young wasn't happy with the sound quality that the digital files that you would you would get on Napster or all these other, you know, Apple wasn't wasn't impressed with the with the compression and the and the and the music quality of the of the musical files. So he 
got involved and and was trying to promote another service that would provide high quality digital music files never went anywhere he certainly enlisted a lot of uh, heavy hitters and a lot of his rock star friends to promote it but it never really went anywhere but my point is that neil young is not a luddite neil young is not anti-technology neil young is not anti-internet or or probably not anti-podcast but at the same time he's attacking spotify which is one of the leading streaming services but he's not attacking it for its technology. He's attacking it for its content. He's attacking it for its, ultimately, not just its contact, but its conscience, which, once again, ties back to the progressive, freak flag, hippie agenda and movement of the 60s, of which Neil Young, uh, I think, is still to this day, a proud member of and one of the movers and shakers in it. Many of his songs, after the gold rush, things like that, talked about the environment back in the 60s and 70s. So he's been on record. This is not out of his realm. This is not like, well, where did, what did, where did Neil Young come from all of a sudden with this? No, this is right in his, in his ballywick. This is right in his wheelhouse. It's just that, once again, why, why, why are you bringing it up now? Why not two years ago? Joe Rogan apparently has been talking about this for a long time. So, um, at first, it was interesting. Neil Young was, was throwing himself out there to say, basically giving Spotify an ultimatum. It's either me or Joe Rogan. And what was interesting, and this gets back to my point earlier, we are now in a world of likes, clicks, and views. And that takes precedence over proven track records of success and experience and previous notoriety. See how the, see how this all gels together, folks? You think I'm just rambling, don't you? you know, there, there's, there's a method to my madness. And so Neil Young was putting himself out there his reputation, his largesse, his 50 years of success and popularity against Joe Rogan. And I think Neil Young thought that he would really have enough cachet up against Joe Rogan to get what he wanted. And ultimately... He didn't want his he didn't want to pull his, his music off of Spotify. He wanted Spotify to dump Joe Rogan. And he thought he figured, you know what? I'm freaking Neil Young. And he's Joe Rogan. I mean, let's remember too. I mean, Joe Rogan now has become this social commentator. As I said before, you don't really need there's no uh there's no playbook for that. But let's not forget Joe Rogan. Well, I give him props for creating an amazing business with this podcast. Joe Rogan is an actor. Joe Rogan is a comedian. Joe Rogan is not a political pundit who uh, studied at think tanks. Uh, you know, at Harvard, he's not studied how a virus is... <laughs> Is spread. He's not a medical expert. 
He's a comedian from Newark, New Jersey, who was on news radio, if you remember, the TV show back in the early 90s. And then his biggest claim to fame, the man who is influencing people on what to take medically, on 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 the man who is commentating and and advising people on their on their on their health. Joe Rogan talking about what you should do to keep yourself healthy from COVID. He is not an infectious disease expert. He is the former host, if you remember this, of the NBC show called Fear Factor. And if you remember what Fear Factor was, it was a a show that dared contestants to eat gross things like bulls, testicles, and larvae, and grubs, and you name it. And he was the host. And that's the guy who millions of people are listening to for their health advice and their guidance against COVID. The former co-star of News Radio and the former host of Fear Factor, which dared people to eat bull's testicles. That's the expert now that people are, are counting on. Once again, people do what they want to do and they will go to any length and they will listen to anyone who has any kind of credibility and who has an opinion that will justify their behavior of what they want to do. Most people do what they believe in and then they repent. That's a line from a Bob Dylan song. And it couldn't be any truer. And Joe Rogan apparently is one of those people that a a good amount of people are using his alleged misinformation about COVID to justify their views on COVID and not get vaccinated. So Neil Young says, if he's going to keep that, then take my stuff off. Well, I think that uh, Neil Young uh, got a a little wake-up call. He may be a god and an icon to a certain generation, but as I said before, he's kind of an aging rock and roll curmudgeon to another generation, and to some generations, he's completely unknown. If you know anybody in their 20s and you say Neil Young or in their teens and say Neil Young, they will give you a blank stare. (laughs) They may think that he landed on the moon. Wasn't there a Neil that landed on the moon? Yeah, that was Neil Armstrong. Oh, okay, I knew there was a Neil somebody. Um. And so while I think Neil Young in his, his the group that he hangs with figured, wow, this is going to be, you know, uh, in the real world here in 2022, in an internet podcasting world where we, where most people don't know or care about history, we only care about the present and the last, what's happening now and what may happen in the next five minutes, that's, that's the extent of how far we look ahead now. Neil Young did not have the clout that he, I think, thought he would. And so Spotify did not immediately just crumble and get rid of Joe Rogan. Spotify uh, took Neil Young's ultimatum into consideration, but they didn't get rid of Joe Rogan in five minutes. 
because they looked at the reality of their business model and they said, first of all, we just we signed Joe Rogan to a hundred million dollar contract. We don't want to eat that. And secondly, at the end of the day, our business is making more money. More people are listening to Joe Rogan than are listening to Neil Young's catalog. So I got news for you, Neil. If you want this ultimatum and you want to pull your uh, your music off Spotify and you want to lose access to our millions of subscribers who may listen to your music, which may help your legacy in the future because they may discover you and 20 years from now be a fan long after you're gone. If you want to do that, then we, we, we may have to just side with Joe Rogan because right now Joe Rogan is the Neil Young of 50 years ago. Joe Rogan is pushing the cart. Joe Rogan is, is moving the culture, not Neil Young. So I think Neil got a little taken aback by that because he still thinks he's Neil Young. And he still is Neil Young to a certain group of people which are getting older and which have lost a lot of their influence in terms of moving the culture. He's he's an icon with the baby boomer set, but the baby boomer set are in their 70s. The baby boomer set are not driving the 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 the, the, the truck anymore. The people who listen to Joe Rogan are. So Spotify has been trying to find a way to reconcile this so both sides are happy, but ultimately they seem to be siding more with Joe Rogan, and that's no surprise. Clicks, likes, and views. That's what makes money today. Not Heart of Gold, not Southern Man, not Cinnamon Girl. Now, uh, Neil Young has some powerful, well-known friends, like fellow Canadian Joni Mitchell, fellow band members like Crosby, Stills, and Nash, who then wanted to add, you know, wanted to give Neil a little support personally, as well as, you know, add to the, perhaps the leveraging, as more high-profile rock stars perhaps join Neil's crusade, they might have enough clout to match Joe Rogan's clout, which I think we're all surprised by. I mean, if I'm Joe Rogan, I've got to be pretty proud of myself. Not only was I am a you know a midline, never really made it as a as a stand up, you know, not Dave Chappelle, not Jerry Seinfeld, never really made it as an actor on the TV shows, hosted a reality show, which today sadly is a path to success. But even that went off after five years, and Joe Rogan seemed like he was just going to fade away. And look at him now. So Joe Rogan has to be pretty proud of himself, not only for the empire that he's built, thanks to this podcast, but, I mean, Joe Rogan from Newark, New Jersey, has more cultural power than Neil Young. I'm sure Joe Rogan has Neil Young albums and CDs. He grew up knowing who Neil Young was. He's in his mid-50s. He's on the tail end of the baby boomer at the beginning of the Gen X, but he certainly, I'm sure, knows who Neil Young is. He grew up with Neil Young's music. And now he's sitting there going, wow, how crazy is the world? Neil Young not only knows who I am, but he's confronting me. I'm on Neil Young's radar. If I'm Joe Rogan, that's pretty impressive. 
And then what's even more impressive is not only is he on Neil Young's radar, he's getting more support than Neil Young is. Spotify is, isn't completely dissing Neil Young. They're saying if this is what you want, this is what you get. But there's, at least at this point, still siding with Joe Rogan. And as this issue and this confrontation has grown, there's already been a line of suitors waiting for Joe Rogan. If he does decide to leave Spotify, if he doesn't feel that they're supporting him, or if Spotify ultimately uh, feels the cultural pressure, the political pressure, from vaccinated people and people on the side of vaccination, if he, if they, if if Spotify feels enough political pressure that may impact their business, and they side with Neil Young and they decide to get rid of Joe Rogan, which is what ultimately Neil Young wants. If that happens, Joe Rogan already has at least one one hundred million dollar offer on the table with another streaming service. So. Uh, Neil Young has elevated Joe Rogan by this protest. He's exposed Joe Rogan. Also, apparently, once you get exposed like that, people start digging into your past. People have been listening, you know, went back and listened to many old podcasts that he's done over the last, uh, you know, since 2009. And apparently, uh, you know, this podcast when it's starting out, as I said, Joe Rogan is is no is no great social commentator. He's no, he's just a he's a Jersey guy who made good. That's how he talks. That's how he thinks. And so apparently, he has used many racial slurs that are on record on these podcasts. So now that certainly has dinged his reputation with some not with all but there is now some controversy swirling around his racial slurs and he's had to apologize for that but still spotify is looking at the present and the future and in this battle between neil young and joe rogan the present and the future in terms of business in terms of revenue streams is not even close it's joe rogan you don't pay somebody $100 million unless you're confident you can make $200 million off them. Neil Young's catalog, as great as it is, filled with, with songs that uh, are unique and timeless and, f- and, and, and are bedrocks and, and frame a, a period of time, like Ohio. I mentioned a few before, Heart of Gold, After the Gold Rush, Cinnamon Girl, Southern Man. You cannot deny the power of an influence and importance of Neil Young's musical catalog. It speaks for itself. But when it's compared to the monetary advantages of a popular podcast in 2022, Joe Rogan beats Neil Young. And so that's where the standoff is now. Spotify has to decide whether they want to be, they want to um, make a decision based on business or make a, a decision based on philosophy. 
And, you know, philosophy isn't going to pay shareholders. <laughs> and that's that's always the gray area for, for companies. They, they, they always have to walk that line of social consciousness, of being a responsible corporate and, and global citizen, and being a successful business and paying attention to those stockholders who have invested in their company. That is their, that is as important and that's not being a capitalist pig. That's just, that's the, that's the, the reality. If you're a public company, you have sold shares. People have invested in you. They are expecting you to make decisions that help them get money on their investment. You, you owe them that responsibility. And that's something that you shouldn't be embarrassed of or take lightly. That's why you got in business. I know we're moving in some circles in this country toward a more socialist kind of viewpoint, but we are still a capitalist society. And, and there's nothing wrong with, with a company making money and, and trying to pay back those that invested in them. That's, that's the way the system works. But as, but when, but then the other side of the coin is as, as you become a bigger influential company, you do have, I think, a social responsibility as well. So that's where Spotify is. It's not very. It's not easy. And and Neil Young is a disruptor, and he and he he knew the the implications of this. He knew that coming out, whether he wins this or not, whether he wins the ultimatum or not, he has certainly thrust this company and this issue of content and a company being responsible for it into the national debate or the global debate. And we've, and, and, and we've been seeing this come for a while. Congress has been looking into Facebook. Uh, there's, a, there's a gray line here about streaming services that provide content. Are they covered? Do they do? Are they? Uh, are they uh, not eligible? But uh, do they come under the guidance and regulations of a media company and the freedoms of a media company with freedom of speech? Do they have a responsibility about the content that they put out there? In this case. Neil Young says Joe Rogan is deliberately spreading misinformation about COVID, about not getting, you know, telling people not to get vaccinated, about telling people to use, uh, you know, some crazy, you know, alternate drugs or alternate, uh, you know, regimens of things that are affecting people to the point that they're getting sick, and in many cases they're dying. That's that's Neil Young's argument. And so the question now is, does Spotify have a responsibility with the content that they put out to their subscribers to make sure that the information is not detrimental to people, that it could not ultimately kill people? Or are they just a service that says, we just have stuff out here for you. We, we just make it available. What you do with the information is your business. 
We're not here to edit people. We're not here to edit creativity. They, you know, under Joe Rogan's view, this is creativity. This is art. This is Joe Rogan's art. We are not here to censor Joe Rogan. We are near, not here to, to uh, you know, they, they you could uh, you can you know compare this to well, we're not here to burn books. You know, Joe Ray, Joe Rogan. This is an entertainment podcast. Whether that podcast veers into politics and social commentary, it's still considered Joe Rogan's art, whether you like it or not. And so Spotify says, we are not here to quash creativity. We are not here to censor art. You're asking us to to talk to Da Vinci and say, put a smile on the Mona Lisa. That's, I mean, it's, that's a, an extreme example, but that's basically their argument. Joe Rogan is an artist, and we are allowing Joe Rogan creative freedom. Neil Young says that creative freedom is killing people. So you should have a little responsibility to what your artists or your people are putting out on your platform. That's basically what it comes down to. And that's not an easy question. Because what we are what we are experiencing now this this transformation in our entire this transformation of our culture was happening uh, slowly over the last ten or fifteen years. COVID has just amplified it, and so now we've got some real serious questions to debate as to how we go forward. Because these streaming services aren't going away; they are only growing. They are going to have more and more influence, and we need to all agree what they should and what they shouldn't do, just like we agreed on what television should or shouldn't do, network television. They have these guidelines. You can't swear. You can't show sexually explicit things. We, have, we all agreed on that. On radio, you can't swear. You can't do, you know, there's certain things you can't do. We agreed on that for the well-being of society, but it seems as if all of that, once again, all these old, these old standbys about our culture, proven records and, and talent and ability and education, the internet has has blown those out and the internet has blown out this idea of responsibility because the, what the internet has done is empowered the individual. And so institutions now don't have the control over things and people say well there's nothing wrong with that the institutions have screwed up this country. People have screwed up this country. People have screwed up this world because people make up those institutions too. And now we've got 8 billion people making up their minds as to what's right or wrong. That's where we're in trouble. The average person can't handle that responsibility. We've, that's not an opinion. Look at the state of the world is in right now. We cannot handle that. It was, a, it was an aspirational idea. It was, a, it was a freeing idea to give information to people. But we have proven that we can't handle it. This COVID has proven that. We cannot handle the responsibility of making a, a, a smart decision based on information because most people are lazy. They don't do the research that is needed. They hear one thing. They see one thing. They believe it. They don't go back to confirm it. They don't get two people to confirm it like we used to do in the old days in journalism. People hear a rumor and they spread it around. People see something on the Internet. They believe it and they they, they, they live their lives by it. We were given an opportunity 
to have access to information. We have proven that we cannot handle it. And the problem is that 25 or 30 years ago, when the internet was first starting, the government and we as a people should have immediately seen and put at least signposts, if not some regulations on this. Because we saw what happened with radio and television. So we should have seen where this was going to go and say, wait a minute. But you know what? The Internet was making a lot of money. It was, it was driving the economy. It was creating jobs. It created a surplus. The United States did not have an, a, a national debt. We didn't owe money. At the end of the Bill Clinton administration, at the end of the 90s, when the, when the Internet took hold and started making money, this country did not have a deficit. We had a surplus of money. It never happened before. That's how much the Internet infused into our economy. Now, that, that surplus went away in two seconds once the second plane hit the towers. We've been losing money and spending money we don't have and printing up money ever since. But for about a year and a half or two years, we had a surplus. We didn't even know what to do with it. We didn't know how we were going to spend it. We had money extra money in our coffers as a country, and we didn't know what to do with it. We never had it before. That's how much the Internet and technology in the 90s changed our culture and influenced and infused into our, uh, into our government. So no politician, no entrepreneur, no one wanted to pop that bubble. They rode the wave until the tech bubble burst in the early 2000s. But no one wanted to put regulations on it. There was this, this progressive, hippie kind of aspirational thing about it. Oh, we're going to empower people, and people have the ability to do all this. And what we've seen is all that people have done has become more isolated and now more divided. That's the 30-year legacy of the Internet right now. It's not positive. We have amazing access to information. We have amazing opportunity to information, and we have failed in how we use it complete failure that's just the truth and so now because we didn't establish some guidelines for what a dot com at that time or a streaming service because it could have fallen into that what what are their responsibilities We didn't want to pop the balloon. We didn't want to stop the train because it was benefiting too many people. We didn't look farther down the track to say, what are the implications of this if it goes wild, which it has done now? We were short-sighted as we always are. We are, our society, especially in the United States, we live by a three-month view of the world. What are the second quarter results? What are the third quarter results? We never talk about 10-year results. We're just worried about the next three months. And so the internet was allowed to grow and grow, and it grew faster than anyone expected. And then all these social media and streaming services came around, which nobody really predicted as well. And now it's a beast. It is an unwielding beast we have. There's no way to get our hands around it. And now Congress is waking up, oh, maybe we have to start to curtail what Facebook can put out. Oh, now you are? The the genie's out of the bottle. They'll never do it. They can't do it. It's too big. 
The internet and social media is too entrenched in our lives on a daily basis now. You, it's, in, it's impossible to rein it in. You'll be accused of being censoring. You know, John Stewart, another former comedian who somehow, an, another failed comedian, I might add, he had many shows before he had The Daily Show. He was a failed comedian. He found The Daily Show. I never really watched it. Uh, and suddenly he became this social commentary and the, the commentator and this great respected uh, man of news and, and insight. This was a guy that couldn't keep a show on MTV in the 80s and 90s. Suddenly he's been elevated into some great pundit and great thinker of our society. He's another New Jersey comic. There's something about New Jersey comics, I guess. But the funny thing, I thought, even though that uh, you know he is so different in his views than Joe Rogan, John Stewart is is a far left, you know, hippie progressive, and Joe Rogan, uh, from all accounts, is a pretty conservative right winger, based on his anti-vax stance, and yet John Stewart was providing some cover for his comedian friend, or at least his fellow comedian, by saying to Neil Young, well, don't don't criticize, don't censor Joe Rogan. Engage with Joe Rogan. Let's have a debate. Let's have a, let's have a, a discussion about, uh, you know, responsibility. Let's not give ultimatums. I thought that was funny. Joe Rogan and and John Stewart can't be farther apart, and 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 John Stewart has used vulgar terms to describe conservatives who feel the same way Joe Rogan does. But Joe Rogan's a fellow comedian, so now all of a sudden, let's not be so rushed to ju- no, not, not let's not, not be so fast to judge let's not censor joe rogan let's engage with joe rogan very hypocritical on john stewart's part but this is what i'm telling you too you can't you can't believe everybody has an agenda all that trump bashing that was going on had an agenda and now biden is making just as many mistakes if not worse mistakes and those who hated Trump are finding ways to rationalize with Joe. Oh, well, we'll give, we'll give Biden another chance. So I thought John Stewart was a little hypocritical here, too. But here's my main point. What this has done, I think, aside from Neil Young versus Spotify, you know, John Stewart supporting Joe Rogan, because he's a comedian, more than an adversary about politics. He wants to help his fellow comedian. Interesting little take on that by John Stewart. But this is more about what did Joe Rogan say about vaccinations? This is more about what did Joe Rogan, uh, you know, what is his what is his views on these things and what is his... And what is his responsibility? And this is more about even what is Spotify's responsibility? Very important questions that we, sh- we should have debated 30 years ago before it got to this point. If we would have been smart and debated this 30 years ago, we wouldn't be in this position. But we, once again, 
We went after the shiny object. Nobody was saying, you know what? Let's make sure that this thing doesn't get out of control because it has the potential to. No one could have seen Facebook. No one could have seen streaming services 30 years ago. I'm not blaming people for not having the foresight to see what the specific technologies were. But what I am blaming them for is not seeing the potential of this technology, of this Internet, of this access to information. This ability of the hackers. We didn't put any kind of regulations or any kind of safeguards against anything negative on the Internet. We didn't want to say anything negative about the Internet because everybody looked at it as positive and it was stimulating our, our economy like nothing had in 50 years. And so we just let it run amok. And now here we are. Once again, like we always do, we just kick the can and let other people take care of it. And now, many, many issues that we have kicked the can on in the last 50, 60, 70 years are all coming to roost at one time. And that's why our society is so divided. We are so off kilter here. We are in such a, a period of flux and transition, and, and we don't have anybody who can steer us right now. We don't we are just floundering. And then COVID on top of that, holy smokes. Here's what has to happen, at least in my view. The internet is out of control. You cannot corral it in. You may make some token kinds of regulations. They will be cosmetic at best. They will not have any real teeth to them. They will not have any real pullback. They will allow lawmakers to say that they have applied a new set of rules, but those rules will be so paper thin and so nebulous that at the end of the day, they are not going to affect these streaming services and these social media companies. They will continue to dominate the, the, the marketplace, and they will continue to disseminate false information uh, because they're too big. They, they, they employ too many people. They make too much money, which our government needs in taxes, even though they say, well, they don't pay taxes, but they generate taxes in other ways through people's salaries, through manufacturing, So they may put on some token regulations that really won't make a big difference, but they can they can tout them when they run for reelection. Oh, well, I was the I sponsored this bill, which, you know, put the, you know, the social media companies on on the record and on, you know, and and corralled them in. No, you didn't. Where were you 30 years ago? That's when we needed you, when it was starting. Set up the rules when the game starts, not after the game has been played for 30 years, you'll never, you, then you're playing catch up. You got to, you got to make the rules when you start the game. Everybody then knows the rules and you stay within the rules. And maybe you have to alter them a little as you go on, as things progress. And that's the way you do it. But we didn't do that. No one had the guts to do that. No one wanted to be the pin that popped the bubble, even though it popped the balloon, even though the balloon did pop on its own, as it always does. But no one wanted to be accused of being 
the pin. No one wanted to, to, to rain on the parade. No one wanted to corral the internet at the beginning to make sure it didn't run amok and go out of control. And that's why we're here today. And so here's the bigger issue. Because the laws are going to be frivolous at best. What I think the Joe Rogan and Neil Young issue spotlights more than any time else. And this is this is a hard lesson. I don't know if we are up to this, but I think this is what we have to do. This is this is our way out. Yes. Individual content providers like Joe Rogan should have a responsibility as to what they put out to the public. Yes. The companies, the platforms should have some responsibility of what they allow and have some parameters of what they allow their content providers, their artists to put on their platform. But here's the kicker. The consumer of that content also needs to have some responsibility. And that's the tough one because that's the public. And the public doesn't like responsibility. The public doesn't like rules. The public doesn't like to be told what to do. We've seen that once again with COVID. Don't tell me what to do. That's, isn't that the, the basis of the anti-vax argument? You can't tell me what to do to my body. You can't tell me how to live my life. I am now asking, hoping, telling people that you need to be more responsible when you consume this information. That's a big responsibility for you to have. It's a big task. It's a big ask. But you can't just blame Joe Rogan and you can't just blame Spotify. How about taking some responsibility for yourself? If you see a story about anything on the Internet, don't take it as being truth just because it's there. It's your responsibility to to try to find out if that's true. It's not that hard. It takes a little time. It takes a little effort. It takes a little responsibility. When I see a story that doesn't sound right, and this is aside from my media training, I will go to Google I will Google this in and see, is this being confirmed anywhere else? Is anyone else talking about this? Is there any basis for this? Is there any kind of validation for this? Or is this just some figment of somebody's imagination or something that they've created to push their political agenda that they created in their basement and sent out and, and dressed up nice with photos and a, an intriguing headline and made it look official? But it's just as stupid as any uh, made-up story is. We now have to take we, we we. It's been proven that the government isn't going to isn't going to curtail this. The streaming services are not going to curtail this as much as they should, at least. And so the responsibility now is on us, the consumers of this information. In the past, when you had TV stations and especially newspapers, it was an active and passive response, uh, relationship. 
the newspapers, let's just use that as an example, the newspapers actively went out and reported and gathered information, confirmed the facts, got at least two people to confirm the facts. You got to get two sources. That was always the unwritten rule. And did their best through vetting, through these editing processes, to make sure that the facts got out. Now, I'm not saying that this is a perfect system. Yes, there were always stories that were made up, but there was much more scrutiny. Just watch the movie All the President's Men and see the hoops that Woodward and Bernstein had to jump through to break that story. They just didn't say, oh, Nixon broke into the Watergate, front page, put it on there tomorrow. No. Ben Bradley, the Jason Robards character in the movie, said, you don't have it yet, guys. You got to get more confirmation. That Those rules are gone. But those rules at least created some kind of trust with the public from the media, from, say, a newspaper, that what was in there was as true as we could, as true as we can find out at this point. So there was a trust there. The newspapers were the active and the public was the passive. We read it. We, we took it in, but we also had some trust that what we were reading was true. I'm not saying that falsities didn't get out. No system's perfect. It's a human system. Humans aren't perfect. But at least there was a process in place, and those people that were overseeing that process did have a commitment to those principles not to put out false information in their newspapers. They wanted that trust. They wanted, they, they felt that their masthead, whether it was the New York Times, the Chicago Tribune, New York Post, that there was some sense of principle and responsibility behind that masthead. And they wanted to build that trust with their audience that when you pick up this paper, you can believe that we have done the grunt work to make sure that what we've printed in here is as close to the truth as we can prove. Well, now with the internet, that's gone. And even that training is gone. Now there's people that are writing blogs and writing, uh, you know, and, and writing for websites. They don't even have that training. They don't even understand that training because we're all about speed and just saying what we want. Oh, once again, empowering the people. We've proven we can't. We have failed miserably at that responsibility. But if we're gonna, if we're going to continue as a culture, we have to start to get responsible because now that active passive uh, relationship that existed between the media and the public, between the gatherers and the consumers of that information, that paradigm has shifted. We're all active now. There's no passive. We're all active. We're all on the internet. We're all looking. We're all posting. We're active. We're not passive anymore. There comes responsibility with that passive passive stance. You can't take anything for truth without doing some of your own validation. You got to be your own editor now. You have to take extra time before you you share or retweet or repost or believe anything because there are people out there with agendas. There are people out there that are trying to make a name for themselves by saying outrageous things. That's our world. Clicks, views, and likes, and people will do anything to get them. 
So I believe if we're going to get out of this, if we're going to set a path for the future as to how we get how we get along, how we how we weed through information, we cannot believe everything we read anymore without doing our own validation. We have to be our own newspaper editors for our lives. Not for our newspapers, for our lives or what we leave because these this information now is in effect helping could kill people in this in this covid situation we've seen that that bad information has killed people that's undeniable people that have been anti-vaxxed and and made stands on it whether on the radio or they wrote a blog or they went on tv and just espoused it many of those people ironically died of covid they were staunch anti-vaxxers staunch people that didn't believe COVID even existed. And ironically, because of that stand, they didn't get vaccinated. They didn't do what was, they should have done. They weren't responsible to themselves. They caught it and it killed them. Misinformation did kill people. We know that. That's not just some hippie view. That's not just some pro-vaccination view. That's true. So if you want to be responsible for yourself and your family, then you have to act responsibly when you see any information from now on. Go on Google. It's an amazing, or any kind of browser, it's amazing technology. You can go out there and and find if you see any validation for a story, if something doesn't sound crazy, if something doesn't sound right, you know when something sounds right or wrong. Take the extra 10 minutes. Take the extra half hour. Wow, could you imagine that? Wow, a big half hour out of your day? Take the extra time, do a little real research, not asking your friends. Because before you share or before you tell someone else something that you read on the internet, you have a responsibility, not just Spotify, not just Joe Rogan, you. You have a responsibility to make sure that that information that you are taking in, that you are believing, that you may lead your live your life by, and that information that you may share with others that they may live their life by is true and not harmful to them. We have to take responsibility. That's the only way we get out of this. With power comes responsibility you wanted the power of the access of the information that the internet gave you that's what you wanted great you have it it doesn't come without a price and that price is responsibility this is serious folks this isn't about neil young and joe rogan and spotify this is about where we're going in the next 20 to 30 or 40 or 50 years because we've seen this what COVID has done. If you're not ready to take that responsibility, then don't hit the retweet or the share button. And so ends another episode of Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. Every Monday, a new episode is posted at WGNRadio.com or wherever you go to find your favorite podcast. We are there. And don't forget to tell your friends, send them a link, send them a message that your favorite podcast is Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic, and it should be theirs too. 
Your loyalty and devotion is much appreciated. Hope you enjoyed episode number 299. I'm Jim Toronto. I ain't here on business. I'm only here for fun. You've been listening to Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. From the end of the web to your screen.